office. So Ephesians chapter 6, we're talking about a battle. We're in a battle, we're in a war. God's called us to be soldiers. He's called us to be warriors. He's called us to stand fast in this day. And last week we just looked at the first piece of armor, which was the belt of truth. Now, remember this, a couple of things. Our strength doesn't come from our intellect. It doesn't come from our ability. And it doesn't come from our own giftings. Our strength comes from the Lord. He says, finally be strong in the Lord and in his might. And then he says to put on the whole armor of God. In the Greek, it means to put it on once and for all. So at night, you don't take the armor off. Then in the morning, put it on. How many of you know the devil can attack at 3 a.m.? He can attack anytime, any place, and that's why we need to have the armor of God on. And he says for us to stand and to stand firm. The day in which we live in is the day of evil. We are standing in the midst of the day of evil. Unfortunately, some people believe there's going to be a perfect utopia here on this earth. There will be eventually when Jesus comes and he establishes a new heaven and a new earth. But until then, the enemy is a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. He is moving about because he knows his time is limited. And so he wants to steal, kill, and destroy. Please don't misunderstand that. He's not a good guy. He's not a good devil. He wants to kill you, he wants to take you out, and he wants to destroy you. One of the things last week that I shared that I believe is true for this time, God is raising up a remnant in the body of Christ that refuse to bow their knee to being politically correct. They refuse to bow their knee to the popular consensus of the day. They refuse to bow their knee to religion. He's raising up a remnant of people that just being a consumer in the body of Christ is not enough. We have to want him. We have to desire him who is Jesus. And he's raising up a remnant in his body all over the world that will not back down, will not let up, and will not shut up for the gospel. We, that remnant, will say with the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 1, verse 16, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. The only way that this world is saved, the only way you and I are saved, is through the blood of Jesus. It is the power of God for salvation. And so there's a remnant of people that God is raising up all over that says enough is enough. No longer play church, but I'm going to be the church. 
No longer just acting and pretending and putting my time, time in, but I come alive with the Spirit of God. God's Spirit fills me to overflowing, and I become a weapon that is dangerous in this day. The devil doesn't like it when the remnants show up in Nairobi. And all the hell quakes for that remnant. So what do we need to do? What do we need to have in place? And that's the armor. If you'll remember, the belt of truth holds everything together. It's truthfulness, sincerity, no hypocrisy. The word hypocrisy meant to play act. Years ago in drama, they would wear a different mask to display a different emotion. And they were called hypocrites because they were play-acting, pretending. We know it's come to mean that we're not what we really say we are. But see, when truth comes into our lives, there is sincerity, there's honesty, and there's integrity in everything we do. You know, as I was thinking on this armor this week and continuing studying, I was meditating on the fact that it begins with truth. And what is truth? It's Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. You see, unless it begins with Jesus transforming our heart, our armor is a play armor. It will never hold us in the battles. And I thought that it's interesting. I do not believe there is an order of the armor, but I think it's very interesting that the second one is righteousness. If truth holds everything together, then us understanding our righteousness is imperative. The Bible says in Isaiah that our righteousness is like filthy rags. 2 Corinthians 5 says, And he who knew no sin, Jesus, became sin for us so that we might receive the righteousness of God through Christ Jesus. And so with truth, that's where it begins with all of us. Have you really made Jesus Lord and Savior of your life? Is it a game? Is it just something you do like a social club? Or has Jesus set your heart afire? Now, we all have times where we struggle. We struggle in our prayer life. We struggle in reading the word. We struggle on making practical application every day in our life. Struggling to be a good husband to my wife. But in the midst of it, where is the truth? Is that truth embedded in your heart to where when the storms come, you may be blown a little bit, but you're not knocked down. 
and you continue to stand in the midst of this evil and corrupt generation. And we have that truth around us. You see, Jesus said, when you know the truth, the truth will what? It'll set you free. But see, we think by just going through the forms that we're going to be set free. How's that working for you? It's not. But when we know Jesus, when he becomes our all in all, when he truly becomes Lord and Savior, we get set free. Paul says in Galatians, it is for freedom that we've been set free. Then why do we walk in legalism? It's because we haven't been set free. Why would we rather go back to the law and live the law than to live in grace which makes us not want to sin all the more and realizing God's grace has been shed abroad in our hearts and it just gives us liberty and freedom. So when, when Paul's saying put on the armor, it's not just some cute picture of, of a breastplate. It's not some cute picture of a belt, it's truth that holds everything together. And if you don't begin with truth with Jesus, your armor's not going to hold together in the battle. And the other thing I was meditating on this week is it begins with Jesus and it ends with Jesus. It says, put on the belt of truth, and then the last thing is what? The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And who is the Word of God? Jesus. So it has to begin in our lives with Jesus, and it has to end with him. And in, the, in, in all those times, in between those days and months and years, it's still Jesus. It's still him. And so notice, the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Literally that means being made right. Please hear me today. Can you all hear me? Cyprian, what did you do? It has nothing to do about our righteousness. It has nothing to do with you being here Sunday. Has nothing to do with you doing ministry this week. Is that important? Absolutely. When you go to work on tomorrow, we want to do ministry. We want to share Jesus. We want to bring Jesus in every part of our lives. But the breastplate of righteousness is a realization that I could do nothing, and God gave me that righteousness. It was a gift. Hallelujah. Oh, my gosh. Because how many of you guys have tried to be good? Oh, yeah. How many days or seconds did that last? 
You know, as much as we try to be good, as much as I try to be a good husband, there are days I blow it. Pam posted on Facebook on uh, my birthday, and one of the, th she said a lot of nice things that she lied about, but um, one of the things she said, I drive her insane. How many ladies can relate to that? <laughs> and it's true, there are times I just blow it as a husband. I blow it on communication or should have said something was the appropriate time or I didn't say anything. You guys know what I'm talking about? No. <laughs> Johnny. <laughs> So we are made righteous, and God imputes that. He gives it to us, and we're made right. Now, here's the interesting thing. If it begins with truth, and then it moves to God's righteousness to us, the breastplate of righteousness protects what? Our heart. Proverbs 4.23 says, above all else, guard your what? because it's the wellspring of life. For the Jew, the heart was the central seed of all emotion and feeling. So when you would talk to a Jewish person and you mentioned the heart, that was the seat of all emotion, all feelings. And it's interesting, we begin with truth, then we move to righteousness, a realization that it has nothing to do with me, but everything with the Father. And because of that breastplate, it guards my heart. You see, if you don't guard your heart, the enemy will come and plant seeds of destruction. He'll plant seeds of doubt, unbelief, cynicism, He'll plant those things in our heart. That's why the press plate is there. Now, on the back, there wasn't anything there. But you know who was supposed to watch the back? One another. They had one another's back. But that breastplate, when the broad sword came or when an arrow came, it would protect their heart. You all, I'm telling you, you have to guard your heart. There are offenses in this life. There are people that will make you as mad as a hornet. There are people that will get under your skin. There are things that will be done to you that are not fair, that are not just. But in the midst of it, we have to guard our heart because then we become just like the world. But when we guard our heart, then we posture ourselves and we stand in that place of being like Jesus. Next. Next is the gospel of peace. Our shoes fitted with the gospel of peace. It's interesting. Peace is an attribute of God. Remember Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit, which is love, joy, peace. That's God. That's his attribute. And it's interesting. The Greek word for peace means oneness, 
and wholeness. You see, when we put on the armor of God and keep it on, it doesn't mean we won't be attacked because this passage assures us that the enemy is going to send flaming darts and arrows at us. But what it does, it protects us and peace brings us into wholeness, oneness. How many of you know in this day that we live, the many, many people that are fragmented? They're fragmented. Family lineage and line been passed down. Unjust things, inhumane things have happened to our people. And one of the things when we guard our heart and we allow God's peace to rule and reign in our hearts, there's wholeness. And in that wholeness, having our feet fitted, it means that we're able to stand. The soldiers would have a cleat on the bottom and it was said of Julius Caesar that his army could move quickly over all kinds of terrain because their shoes were fitted well and they could go over any type of terrain. When we have the gospel of peace, that means we're ready to take the good news wherever we're at. First Peter says, always be ready to make a defense for the hope that's in you. To make that hope, you have to have shoes that take you where you need to go and where you're going. The shoes that help you to stand. When I entered seventh grade, which is the junior high in the state, we had to start taking gym class. So for a whole hour, we had gym. And I loved our gym teacher because all we did was play basketball and dodgeball. How many of you know what dodgeball is? It's one of the craziest games in the world. It's where you take a volleyball and throw it at the other person. You know, and if you get hit, you're out. If you block it or catch it, they're out. Anyway, I love the game personally. Um, if you had a strong arm, that was the best part of it. If you had a weak arm, you're never going to win. Anyway. So I said, Mom, I need a pair of tennis shoes. I need a pair of tennis shoes. So in my mind, I'm thinking Converse tennis shoes. At the time, Converse was the best basketball shoe, all that stuff. My mom, God bless her heart, my mom comes and says, Craig, I got your shoes for gym class. And she pulls them out, and you know where she bought them? Kmart. Now, Kmart in the States, they always had, under the flashing blue light are specials. And I think she got it under the special. First of all, the shoe, the canvas was terrible. The shoe was so flat, it was like cardboard. And, he, and when I ran, you could hear this flap, 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 flap. And all my classmates were making fun of me. And so I said, Mom, please, please, I'll help pay 
for a Converse shoe. Back then, they cost, get this, $9. Now they're like 40 bucks. So, so I didn't have the right shoes. I would slide, I would fall, and you needed to have the right shoes for gym class. It's the same way in our battle. We have to have the right shoes, fitted, ready to go where God calls us to go. Next is the shield of faith. Okay, the male worship team, come here. Wake up, guys, come on. So here's what I want to give you a visual. Come here, and I don't want you playing. Come here, stand in front, next shoulder to shoulder. Come on. Do these guys look sharp today with a tie? All right, stand next to each other. Step forward a little bit. All right, just to give you a visual. So the shield of faith was about two feet wide, four feet high. And it had either uh, leather or metal. The leather was soaked in a material or a solution that when the flaming arrow hit, it extinguished it. But when I first studied, started studying this a long time ago, um, they, I thought they were just those round shield. But I came to find out they're the large shield, and what they would do is call the phalanx. In a military term, a phalanx is they would come and they would stand next to each other. And there they would put their sword or the shield up and they would go behind. And obviously the enemy would come with their arrows and once they shot their arrows, then the archers would come behind them and shoot their arrows. So I want you to get a picture. It's imperative, as we have the armor of God, that we're in community and we're walking together. Let me give you, stay there, Emery, right here. What? Oh, keep standing there. All right. I'm working with, work with me, guys, okay? So what happens if there's a gap in our faith? They get through. What happens when these gaps become consistent? It's easy for the enemy to come through. Please hear me. And I pray the Spirit of God speaks to your heart. You will lose in battle being isolated. You'll lose. You say, well, you know, I'm an introvert. Quit using that excuse. Well, you know, I, I'm really busy. Stop using that excuse. God has called us to be a body. And each one has a part in the body. Are you hearing me? That we, we have to be shoulder to shoulder. And we have to have that shield of faith. Because sometimes what happens, my faith is weak. And there's many times this last year it was weak. And I needed these guys to come together so that I could go behind and still be connected to them to be refreshed 
and to allow my wounds to get healed and so that I can be built up. But I still need these guys. I need every one of them. I don't, nah, well, I don't really need Emmanuel. <laughs> get back here, Emmanuel. I need everyone. Listen, as a body, as a family, we need everyone. There is no one more important than the other. Not even me as your pastor. I am not, uh, what is that, in Kubwa, uh, what is that word, Patrick? Yeah, that. <laughs> Kubwa. Buona and Kubwa. I'm not the big boss. I understand my function, but I am a part of the body. And when we take this shield of faith, it says it extinguishes some of the arrows. Is that what it says? Yeah. No. Yeah. It says it extinguishes all. So when we do not come together, it will not extinguish all the arrows. It won't because we're not connected. And literally, that means we're arm in arm. I want you to see this picture. This year, the enemy will come to you and to isolate you and tell you you don't need community. You don't need the church. And he's a liar. We need one another, and we need to come together shoulder to shoulder and wage this battle. All right, give these guys a hand. I think this is the first sermon, guys, you've been awake. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> These, I'm telling you, our worship band is awesome. I, I truly love these guys. <clears throat> the next armor is the helmet of salvation. Just like the breastplate, just like the breastplate, the helmet rests on the work of Jesus. It's the helmet of salvation. So you put on this helmet, and you're in battle. I don't know if you've ever seen these movies. They come in on a horse, and they have what's called a broadsword, or they have a mallet, and they, with the, on the horse, go through the battle and begin just to swing away. What happens if you don't have a helmet on, you get your brains knocked in. Now, you get your bell rung, but having a helmet on definitely helps. And notice, the helmet of salvation, it's knowing, even as truth, our identity and who we are and, and who we are as sons and daughters. That's also the part of our mind that Philippians says, he who began a good work in us will what? carry it to completion. It's a process. This Christianity is not a sprint, it's a marathon. But when God begins something in us, will he carry it to completion? Yes. And so we are working out our salvation. It's called sanctification. We're working out our salvation with fear and trembling. Someone quit playing with the lights. 
We are working out this salvation. That means, as Colossians 3 says, we are setting our mind on things where? Above. Not on things of this earth, for we died <laughs> and our life is hidden with Christ. And so we are called that we put on this helmet, that we take every thought captive to bring it, uh, take every thought captive that brings itself against our mind and demolish those strongholds. Now, how many of you have thoughts run through your mind? Everybody, unless you're dead. Everybody has thoughts. You have millions of thoughts running through your mind every day. And they can be good thoughts and bad thoughts. It's what we do with those bad thoughts. That's why it says take every thought captive and bring it to the obedience of Jesus. Because if you don't, those thoughts begin to ruminate they begin to stay in, you start entertaining them, and pretty soon it produces the things you're thinking, which is sin and produces death. That's James. That's why we set our mind on things of God. That's why in the midst of this life, we need to be saturated with the word of God. We need to let the word of God dwell in us richly. You know what that means? It means to be at home in our being. That the word of God is not a strange place in our heart, but it's home. It resonates, it ruminates, it, it convicts us, it challenges us, it inspires us, and it encourages us. And then the next one, is the sword of the Spirit. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. The word there is in the Greek is makaria, and it means little dagger, which I talked just a little bit about this last week. So if it's a little dagger, what does that tell us? What is that saying to us? It's saying that our battle is up close and personal. So Emmanuel, come up here. I like picking on Emmanuel. He's just such a great, great kid. All right, so if, if we have a long sword, our battle is far away. But if he has a dagger and I have a dagger, we're up close. I'm blocking. He's blocking me. And remember what it says, we wrestle. You don't wrestle at a distance. Yep. You can't go, okay, I'm going to get you. Whoop, whoop, there's my move. That doesn't work that way. To wrestle, you have to get up there and you have to wrestle. Don't, don't be so... <laughs> I'm just kidding. Let me win, okay? Okay. <laughs> but it means that it's up close. The devil like a roaring what? Is seeking. And a lion doesn't kill from a distance. He jumps on his prey and he thrusts 
the dagger. Thanks, Emmanuel. Sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Hebrews 4.12 says the Word of God is alive and active. It says the Word of God goes out and it accomplishes the purpose of God and does not return back void. But here's what God is calling the body of Christ to do with the Word of God is you have to activate it in your life. Remember the temptation Jesus goes, he was baptized, he was baptized in the Holy Spirit, and it says, and the Spirit drove him into the desert. And there he encountered Satan. He'd been fasting 40 days and 40 nights, and Satan tempts him. He said, hey, turn these rocks into stone." He said, man shall not live by bread alone. He said, throw yourself down. The angels will keep you from even hurting your feet. He says, do not tempt the Lord God. He gives him the third thing. And, and Jesus, the living word, activates the word of God. And it says, especially in Luke, which I was reading this morning, it said he left for a more opportune time. But here's what's happening. If we do not activate the word of God in our life, he's going to come back. He's going to find a chink in our armor and he's going to attack us. But when we activate the word of God, when we speak the word of God over your situation and your circumstance, when we stand on God's promises, even though in front of us it is not materialized, but we know that God's word is true in Corinthians where it says the promises of God are yes and amen for those that believe. We start activating the word. It's like that song that the worship team, nothing's impossible with God. We were, by singing it, we're activating the word of God in our midst. But we're like secret agents and nobody knows we're Christians because we're afraid that they may not like us. We're afraid to be politically correct and God says, speak it. Just speak God's word. It's God's word, the sword of the spirit. When I speak God's word, I'm jabbing that into the heart of the enemy. That's why it's important. And please hear me. I grew up. You need to memorize. You need to read your Bible. It was more out of legalism. It's kind of like one of my sons said when we sat and talked. The early years... We would do Bible, we'd have memorization, all that stuff. And it was good. But until I got a revelation of God's love and changed my life, it was all legalism. Now, is God's word God's word? Yes. And then memorizing is good. But the Pharisees had the first five books of the law memorized word for word. And Jesus said this, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the Pharisees and Sadducees, you'll never enter the kingdom of heaven.
So what am I saying? I'm saying, yes, we need to read the word of God. Yes, we need to memorize. But realize that as we're doing this, it's alive. It's active. It's not just nice suggestions. It's for life and godliness. You know, when, G, when the word says, I've given you everything you need for life and godliness, he's given us and sealed us with the Holy Spirit. The devil can't touch my spirit. Now, he can come after my flesh, but he can't touch my spirit. It's sealed. And so we have that word of God. Now, here's where most of the sermons end. But I believe there is the next part of the armor, and it's prayer. Look here with me. And he says, Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. I believe that, that truth holds everything together, the word of God, righteousness, all the armor we've looked at. But a key element in our life and the body of KVC is prayer. Yesterday, we had a meeting at the office uh, with the prayer team. It's talking uh, about this year and what's God saying and where he's leading us and what, what does God want to do. And in all that, we can have a thousand good ideas but if we don't pray and contend and seek the heart of the Father, they're just good things. How many of you don't want just good things? You want God things. Not only for your life, but for our church. And he prays, to, he says, to pray in the Spirit at all times, all occasions. Now, if you grew up Pentecostal, you were taught it means to pray in tongues all the time. It can mean that. And there are times I do pray in tongues. But it means there are times where there is just intercession, like when Romans talks about where there's no words, there's just sighs and groans. I have a, an intercessor back in the States, and they will just weep and weep when the Spirit of God comes upon them. They will just cry until God releases them I've known people that have fasted and prayed for periods of time until God says, okay, now. And something has happened in the heavenlies that comes to the earth. But what I want you to know and what I want you to see, he says, pray with supplications, requests, make your requests known to God, all kinds of prayers. Matthew, the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus said, ask, seek, and knock. And when we just think, okay, I'm a child of God, I, I got the inheritance, and we just kind of move on, we really don't contend for what is really ours. And God wants us to contend. 
You know, things that are handed to you, you accept them, but they may not be as appreciated. But those things you work for, you labor for, and you obtain, you appreciate, because you know what went into it to get it. So Tuesday, Pam and I leave for the States for two, sur two surgeries. And this last year, we have contended, we, I, we have fasted, we have prayed, we have asked, we have sought, we have knocked, we have had people come to our house to pray. We have people in the States, Brazil, Colombia, that have set aside time to pray, but yet we've not seen the manifestation. Would have been easy to give up, and trust me, there were many times we felt that. But we continued to contend, and I want to say thank you to the many, many people here that encouraged us when our faith was weak. You encouraged us to continue to keep on keeping on. We believe in this time of going back, Pam's gonna come back walking. We believe that she'll be able to move her shoulder and there will be no more pain. But in the midst of it, we still contend. We pray together. We seek God's heart. We don't want to be conceited, arrogant, but have contrite, humble hearts before the Lord. You know what? I believe in healing. Please hear me. The vineyard is founded with an incredible healing movement. But I don't have all the answers. I don't understand why certain people get healed and others don't. I don't understand why Angie, who's my forwarding agent, has been in the hospital three weeks with COVID, on a ventilator, on her belly, and she had to be induced into a coma. I don't understand that. But I don't have to understand it. I just trust and believe who God is his character, and his nature. And so we contend for Angie. I don't understand why Bruce DeLay, a dear, dear pastor friend of mine, passed away because of COVID. I don't understand it. But I know death is not the final thing. Where, oh, death is your sting, where, O oh, grave, is your hold? It's not because of the blood of the Lamb. And sometimes we say the ultimate healing is physical, where the ultimate may be to be released from the pangs of this world and to be in the presence of Jesus. My friend is in the presence of Jesus. We are here on the earth, we grieve, we mourn, because we have lost a loved one. But please hear me, it does not negate that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever.
And like Job said, we say, Lord, even if you slay me, yet will I trust you. Like I said last week, and I'll close, worship team, come on up. Is Jesus enough in your life? Is Jesus enough? Please hear me. I believe he heals. I believe he saves completely. I've seen him. He's a God of restoration. I've seen miracles in marriages. I've seen miracles of physical healing. I've seen all that stuff. But like Noah, for 120 years, God said to Noah, build a boat. Do you realize no boat had been built? So what the heck is a boat? Uh, okay, God, so tell me what a boat is. Well, I'll give you the plan. Start cutting gopher wood and pitch. And so he gives them the plans, and he starts building a boat, and he says, then I'm going to call the animals in two by two, and then your family. So for 120 years, <laughs> think about this. 120 years, he's building this humongous thing. People are walking by and saying, Noah, what are you doing? I'm building a boat. Aha, that's real funny. What's a boat? <laughs> you know, it's a big thing. I don't know. I'm just making this big thing. God told me to. God who? Well, God talks to you? Yeah, he talked to me. He told me to build this thing. Okay, I'm going to build it. His sons, can you, can you imagine what his sons felt like? Dad, we're a dork. Everybody's making fun of us. I can't believe we're doing this. All our friends aren't our friends anymore. But because you said, Dad, we're going to help you. His wife, their, their wives, they build it, and then God says, it's time. Could you imagine what that was like? All of a sudden, you see two elephants just kind of moseying up to this big thing. Then you see Simba and Mrs. Simba. I mean, that could, I, for me, I would have loved to have been there. I, I also would have been the, loved to be inside, too. But it says, and God shut the door. It wasn't man. It was God who started it, and it was God who finished it. And 120 years, he built the ark and he told the people, prepare because God is going to destroy the earth. Not one convert. Let me tell you, as a pastor, when people don't come to the Lord, I get kind of depressed. And for 120 years, no one said yes. And then one day, drop, 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 drop. Is God enough in your situation? Whether you see it, whether it manifests this week, next week, is he enough to where it doesn't shake your faith? And where you stand firm and trust in him. Today, some of you are at that place. 
some of you are at that tipping point, it'd be very easy this week to go the way of the world. It'd be very easy to just simply say, I'm done. Christianity's not worth it. I want to tell you, these messages last week and this week are for you. To give you hope in the midst of not having an answer. And not in the midst of not seeing it. And understanding what God's doing. And even in the midst of confusion, God is faithful. He is true. And this year will have its trials and tribulations. Who knows? COVID, it doesn't matter. COVID, it can be wars. It can be all these things going on. It's where your heart is. Have you put everything, truth around you and holding all that armor to stand firm and steadfast? Let's stand.